Welcome to the USL show. It is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. Welcome everyone to week two. Let's jump right in and uh, introduce all of our co-hosts for the day. I'm going to start with a man who hasn't... Oh no, you were here last week, pardon me. Uh, but Big Kev McCamish is back this week to talk a little bit about Portland and, and lots of other things. How's it going, Kev? Going quite well. How are you yourself? Uh, doing pretty good. Pretty good. Um, it's starting to look like spring in St. Louis, and uh, I'm really happy about it. It's changed my mood in general, really. Uh, it's starting to look like spring here in Portland as well. Um, I went, I spent the weekend and yesterday out in Leavenworth, Washington. So it was sunny in 55. And while I was out of town, it was like almost 70 and mm-hmm. sunny. And today it's it continued, so at least I got to experience some nice sunny seventy degree weather here. Yeah, you did. You had a vacation, a much needed vacation. You said, "Quite yes, indeed." And it was actually really good. Good. I had a really good time. It's one of those vacations I haven't had one in a long time where it's so fun, so relaxing that you actually have difficulty getting back into the grind. Like I've I've had some business trips and some other shorter vacations. Um, recently they just weren't that way. I was like, Oh yeah, back to no problems. But, uh, when I came back last night, it was like, Oh man, I really am having a hard time getting back into like the real world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had those as well. Um, but we're glad you're here actually. Um, but let's move on to the next one. One of the two in our stats department here for the USL show, it's Ryan. Oh my gosh. Ryan Allen. I always want to call you Ryan Myers cause I have a good friend named Ryan Myers and you remind him, remind me of him. Ryan Allen, uh, how are you doing out there in the Carolinas? It's going pretty well. I can't say the weather is kind of matching. It was in the 50s today, so it's been going back and forth between the 50s and 70s. But I will say North Carolina is, in essence, pretty much preparing for a lack of work and pretty much war as the March Madness tournament begins on Thursday. Mm, are you? Do you jump into that every year? Try to yeah, cheat with your, the with entire your... state is kind of halt whatever they're doing, and if Duke and UNC make it to the final, there will be a literal war on Tobacco Road this year. <laughs> I'm sure that's fun, and typically there is one, right? <laughs> typically, yeah. <laughs> right on. Uh, we've also got the uh, one and only USL Pony on tonight. Uh, Pony, how's it going, man? Uh, weather's been getting warm out here. I actually hit 80 degrees yesterday in Sacramento. Ouch. Um, I don't like it. I like cool 60 degree weather. So yeah, well, we'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> deal. I was going to say deal with 110 degree summer all you want. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. 80 still not too bad. Yeah, enjoy it being 90 degrees at two in the morning. <laughs> right on. Um, okay. Um, we're going to start off uh, the show on a bit of a, of a down note and, um, it's gonna it's gonna have to do. I don't know if everyone saw the the article written. Um, it's the player that was good friends with someone who got killed in the uh, Christchurch match massacre in uh, New Zealand. Um, yeah, there's not a lot to say about this, but we did want to encourage you guys to go read that article. And um, I'm so bad with names. I'm gonna pull it up now. What are what are the names involved with this guys? Do you know? Elliot Coyer was the uh, player from Memphis. Yeah, and he was good friends. He had played um, with Ada. What's his last name? Elayans, I believe. Yeah, Elayan um, is E-L-A-Y-Y-A-N. Um, might have butchered the name, but Elliot Collier wrote a, a really wonderful 
almost like a poetic uh, turn of phrase. Um, he said he, he doesn't know what it is exactly that he wrote, but he just wrote it for for the situation. Um, and uh, then he kind of talks about why he wrote it at the end. Um, he wore a black armband in his honor on Saturday. And so, um, you know, we wanted to at least address that. And um, Kevin's going to read a... Um, a quote that kind of Evan Valella wrote up. Uh, Evan's going out of town, going to uh, Ireland on a good long vacation here. But he wrote something really nice, and uh, we're going to read that. And then um, it might be awkward. I don't know what you guys are doing right now as far as uh, your day, if you're listening to this on a podcast. But um, I don't think there's really a bad time to kind of acknowledge um, that something terrible has happened in our world and to uh, take some time to reflect on that and to maybe think of the uh, families um, and victims of, of that tragedy. And so Kevin's going to read this. We're going to take maybe, you know, a 15 second, 30 second break, uh, a moment of silence right after that. And then we'll kick into the rest of the show. So uh, why don't you take it away, Kevin? Okay. <clears throat> We're a soccer podcast. And while we understand and appreciate the chance to be a place to turn off the problems and struggles of the real world, we also have a platform to share our feelings and condolences when people in our community are impacted by senseless acts of violence. Elliot Collier lost a friend and a mentor in the Al Noor Mosque shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand on March 15th. We would like to extend our sincerest message of support, our deepest feeling of grief, and use our platform to attempt to use words to express our deepest desire for love and a better community to Elliot, his teammates in Memphis, and his and our brothers and sisters in soccer and in life in this time of tragedy. All right. Again, thank you uh, for doing that with us, uh, soccer friends. Um, Evan put it well there. And uh, now now that we've kind of taken time to reflect on that, I think we should uh, talk about uh, why we're here um, as friends, soccer friends, brothers and sisters, as Evan said. Let's talk about the USL a little bit. I know it's an awkward transition, but uh, let's jump into this USL A or USL Academy. Um, it's going to be a tournament to start in uh, 2020. With the intention to start a league, um, Kevin, you've got a you you support Portland. And they have a good uh, two team. They have a good academy. Um, do you want to talk about what this would mean for you, or what it's what it would be like for you? If well, if it's something that's going to be like, um, I don't know. Is it is it something where even the MLS academies are going to join up in? I think it's only US, so it has a top talent from U thirteen to U seventeen. Yeah, so maybe you were the wrong one to cut to there. But, I mean, uh, we've seen what MLS academies have done for MLS, and uh, USL wants a bite. How do you think it might look, though, Kevin? I'm I'm fine with it. I think it would be good. Now, my only concern is that it somehow turns into, like, like the, the MLS Reserve League of the yesteryear in just that, like, hey, here's a thing where the results don't matter. All we're doing is just kind of, like, giving our academy players some some travel some experience all of which is good but like no one's going to show up it's just going to be like a go out on a field you know maybe there's the kids parents are there and some some family you know just like a weekend game probably no more people or a few more people that might show up to my sunday league 7v7 um 
but the experience is there. I mean, it's good if you're going to be in an academy, um, start running a tournament, which is nice. I know that there are successful academy tourneys. Um, I think the there's that one that's done in Dallas with some of the mm-hmm. some international team youth teams that come and play in the MLS academies play and they do well there. Um, and in a, a tournament, I'm sure would be hugely successful. Now, how that would translate into a league for academy teams, I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, it would. It kind of feels like maybe it would be like like the USL A to USL championship would be like the USL championship is to MLS. Um, And then also with the MLS two sides, like, like Portland's using some of their Academy players a lot more this year. They didn't seem to sign too many people um, focusing a lot more on, you know, developing the people that they've, that they've uh, some of their younger talent, just kind of trying to give them the minutes and really gear them up for hopefully producing in in MLS. Um, but like an MLS side, like if they have a academy talent that's good enough, I think that they would they'll give them their minutes in the USL Championship and not necessarily participate in USL A. Yeah. Um, but for USL academies, uh, why not? Uh, if they're not already using them in their championship teams. Exactly, Ryan. Uh, what do you think? I'm sure you have some thoughts on it. I think this is a really good thing, and I'm glad USL is trying to take a more aggressive approach to this. And like they said in the article, 32 USL clubs have academy sides and it would be basically the U13s through U17s kind of all competing here. U17s would be that top level to be kind of competing in the two regional brackets of a West and an East to determine how they would see for that national front. I think the, and then the U13s would be at a national tournament later on in October, the U17s would be in May. I think the only concern I have with it would be with the league format is if you're doing like true travel home and road, these are still high schoolers and it's like how much time can they take out of their personal schedules to Mm. play in these tournaments and like just how much can you devote to playing in this, especially if you're going to have varying levels of team commitments in these uh, U17 sides. Yeah. I see it mostly as good, especially the tournament, the initial tournament. There's nothing wrong with that. I think like Kevin said, there's the Dallas Cup. There are a lot of other tournaments around the uh, the, the country that people Disney can train as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's tournaments all over the place and the more competition, the better. And if there's one specifically aimed at USL um, academies, that's really good because USL academies aren't necessarily well organized. And so if this does nothing but just kind of organize them better, kind of give them a feel for what level they need to be at, if they're behind, they're sure as heck going to find out pretty quickly in this tournament that they have a ways to go and, and they're going to figure out ways to improve in order to actually compete the following year. I think it, it's just going to raise the level as a whole. Um, the only worry I have, and, and I'm going to throw to you, you here, Pony, because and even you, Ryan, because... All of us have clubs near us, USL clubs near us, that are a pretty high level of academy, which is almost the exception to the rule. Um, Because the academies in the USL, to be clear, too, are coming from not just championship. It's from League One and League Two academies. So some are going to be really crappy, (laughs) to be honest. And then some are going to be really good. I would say St. Louis probably has one of the better ones in the country. Sacramento may be better than that. They don't even they don't even have pay to play going. North Carolina has a pretty good one. Pony, what do you think about all of that? Are we going to take a step down or any other thoughts? 
I think it's actually going to be a step forward overall for the league because if we see academies catching on and being successful, especially if they start producing talent, it's going to encourage other teams who have money and want to spend to put to invest in their academies. Because if we see teams like Sacramento and St. Louis and other independent USL teams signing players from their academy and those players go on to be good, useful pieces, every other independent team is going to jump on that bandwagon. So I think while it could have problems with travel and high schoolers having to go off for a week at a time for some weird games and tournaments, I think it could really push forward the talent of USL teams, the championship, League One, maybe even League Two, when we see the effectiveness of the outcome of these academies. Mm. Yeah, two things in the chat here. Alan said that USL is in a, the USL is in a lot of places that MLS is not. Um, and I agree with him. This, this, if nothing could, it, to add on to what you're saying there, Pony, this could make less, less players fall through the cracks that aren't being caught right now and, and bring them up. You know, I'm worried too much about my club losing its high talent level. Well, let's think about all the kids that have fallen through the cracks. And then, Ryan, you made a really good point in the chat right after that about the Hammerheads still have an academy, right? Yeah, the, um, basically, when the Hammerheads were still in USL, the academy was kind of like, propping up the first team and they're still in existence that run a really recognizable brand within the region a bunch of different clubs and furthermore academies and as they stand in u.s soccer i know it's not really the point but they can stand as a big money maker for a lot of these teams it's more of just kind of a fact of the game at this current stance i definitely wish pay to play would disappear but i guess that's another way some of these clubs may approach this situation Mm -hmm. yeah Love it. There and there's gonna be so much to talk about. I think we've uh, just barely t- cracked the surface. U.S. The USL hasn't even gone into hardly any detail either. We've pretty much covered the detail of the facts here already. Um, so I think there will be more discussion of that. I think we'll uh, move on for now um, because the next uh, bit of news is Inter Miami. Uh, they've taken away Lockhart Stadium from a potential USL bidder, as far as we know, at least in Fort uh, Lauderdale. Uh, this is a mess in a lot of ways, right, Kev? <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it other than just pure garbage and mess. Yes. Yeah. Because how long has this, uh, I don't know, let's call it stadium uh, project thing with Beckham and his Miami team been, it's, uh, I, I, I can't even remember when he started like the whole thing. Like four or five years ago, right? Long time ago. Almost. I'll oh, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say I think they were officially awarded sometime last year, but there was like a gentleman's agreement behind closed doors even before Atlanta or the second LA team was announced. Yeah, I guess officially maybe they weren't like the expansion team, but yeah, it was the whole thing was like Beckham had the clause in his contract that he could buy an expansion team for like twenty twenty five million dollars. They had an expiration date on it that passed and they were like no whatever like he still could buy the team or buy a slot whatever he's whatever he's got going on he's gonna do it in downtown miami he'll do it right on on the water and then he'll do it on the waterfront and then he'll do it just a mile inside then two miles in inland and then somewhere out in the boonies uh by university now now fort lauderdale uh, in a stadium that already exists i guess lockhart and it's it's just uh, it's one of those things that really kind of annoys me as far as MLS is concerned because I don't think that uh, MLS it didn't work out before. I don't know if it's going to work out again, but 
they keep telling, they told Sacramento and they told all these other places, you know, um, Nashville, Cincinnati, you guys got to have a stadium in place before we let you in there. They'll tell New York city, oh, you gotta have a stadium. Well, we just have like this fat bag of cash and, uh, we got this whole Manchester United uh, city thing behind us. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, never mind. You can, you can do whatever you want. Yankees are signed in on that. Cool. 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 But it's in the whole, now it's the same thing with David. They're like, MLS likes to make exceptions to their rules, and Beckham is one of them. Yeah, he kind of, yeah, he gets lots and lots of exceptions. I guess the first exception was a good one, but <laughs> maybe not <laughs> since then. Um, any other thoughts on Fort Lauderdale? I'm sad to, to lose a possible USL bid because the owner is, is a, has money, you know, so that would have been an interesting situation. Not necessarily a good or great, but that that team could have been something interesting to talk about. I would have loved to see the strikers come back, especially if they're going to go up against Tampa. I think the big stoppage point with the strikers was that their name still technically belongs. So I think uh, the Tampa Bay ownership, or it was uh, kind of weird that Edwards bought the name or rights to the uh, like team branding and stuff, so they would have to try and find their way back. But Fort Lauderdale would have been a really fun market for USL, especially if you have teams like Tampa in there. And you would see one of the recognizable brands of U.S. soccer come back, and I'm just still not convinced that Miami is relatively a good market for or Beckham's side. I mean, would it be too much of a hot take to say that Miami is not a good sports town? I mean, you look at the Marlins, you look at the Dolphins, the Heat, I don't hear as much about as now, I'm sure. It's just even the Florida Panthers don't play in Miami proper. They play up in Sunrise. Well, that's the other thing, too, like, Beckham had the has this whole thing where he can buy a franchise, buy set up an expansion team. Why is he just so set on Miami? Like, m- my issue is not with Beckham. To be clear, it's it's with just this whole process and trying to set up this team in Miami and just being hell bent on doing it and continually getting moved further and further away from Miami proper. If they could have set something up in downtown Miami, they might have been successful, but. This far out, I don't know if they're going to be successful. You know, it's, it's as Ryan said, it's not really a good sports town in general. He could have spent his money and went anywhere that would work, like by any team. He could have, he could have been the, the, the owners of whoever else is coming in. Maybe, maybe he could move to St. Louis or Sacramento and get one of those two teams that are, I think, more deserving of, an, of a slot. Uh, get them into MLS. I don't know. It's just, yeah, whole, I think it's cool, but why Miami? It just bugs me. I know. I think that's basically the biggest point. I think we've basically said is that any you know anyone else, and they would have lost their franchise by now, you know, or they might not have gotten it in the first place. So, honestly, if we're honest, Sacramento and St. Louis could probably deserve it more than them right now. But here we are. I think we're stuck with it. So instead, yeah. my MLS gets to be embarrassed for a while, which I'm I'm not against either. <laughs> My um, team's in it. I don't care either. So <laughs> there you I, go. I also like seeing pie on their face. Fair enough. Um, let's talk about the team of the week a little bit. I want to. Yep. We don't want to like ruin what we're going to talk about later. So let's not ruin like the games. But if we want to talk about some of these guys, a lot of these guys made a huge impact. Um, let's start with uh, Santi Moar. Um, Evan's not here to talk about him. Ryan, I think you watched that game. If you want to mention his his shots. I feel like he had a fantastic game. I mean, we all saw that goal he had against New 
Now see that he basically, as Evan said in our group chat, put the defender on skates and then curved it into the net that Walls didn't even jump after it as the keeper. And that entire game, it just kind of set off as like one fantastic late night match. Towards like if you can go back and watch a game from this weekend, I say go back and watch that one or go back and watch Tulsa OC. But I don't want to spoil much more before we get into his stuff. Uh, Pony, you want to pick a player or two to talk about? Yeah, the one I know we can talk about a lot later is the Salt Salt Lake City keeper Ochoa. This kid was absolutely amazing through two games now, and I thought he was going to win Player of the Week hands down. Apparently, he didn't even come in top two in voting, so I think voters have some sort of explaining to do of why they favor scoring players or defensive players and keepers, but I'll talk about him a lot more later. Uh, Kev, you want to pick a guy? Uh, Loria, I'd like to hear about him because I don't know anything. Well, I, it was this – again, I'll talk to him more about, more about him in the game, but um, it's a deserved uh, Team of the Week appearance. Um, the first brace for T2 um, – first player to get a brace for T2 since August of, like, 2018, I think. Um, and uh, just kind of showing why he got his first team contract – and paired with Portland's performance in Cincinnati, making a lot of the fans go, um, can Loria play in the first team now? Can we give him a shot? So nice. Uh, good performance. We'll talk about him later. Um, so I'll just mention that Paris G had a great game, even better than I expected defensively. And I've always said all year preseason that he's going to be a huge player to watch in St. Louis. Uh, Cause I think he would be underestimated, but I do want to say, and I'm going to really cover it when we get to the game. Basiljevic for our, uh, Fresno uh, is going to be one to remember this season for sure. Uh, so watch for him in future games. I'll touch a little bit more when we get to the game. Uh, but speaking of, okay, we're going to do something a little bit different. You're going to have to listen to me talk for a while, and I'm going to try to burn through them quickly. Uh, but at least we're going to know what happened. If you guys don't watch every single game, you're going to get to kind of hear a short preview of, of what happened this week. And so the games we didn't quite watch or see thoroughly, uh, we're going to just list off some stats and scores. Anyone can jump in, interrupt me if you want to say anything about the game. Otherwise, I'm going to run through them. So let's start with Reno 1868 versus Austin Bold. Reno won two to one. Uh, Reno uh, didn't have as many shots, 10 to 17 on shots, but they led by a lot in pass accuracy, 82% to 71%. Possession, 50, 58% in Reno's favor. Um, so they held the ball. They passed the ball accurately, um, but they didn't get as many shots off, but they won the game. So um, Reno, high attack team, possessing the ball. That's no big surprise there. Uh, Bethlehem Steel versus North Carolina FC. North Carolina wins their second game in a row. Um, 51st minute goal by Lomas. I believe that's his second. Um, kind of a counterattacking team, though they had 49% possession in this one. Um, so pretty even on the accuracy, 79 to 78. And um, shots on goal, 9 to 2, with 14 shots in general, from North Carolina to six from Bethlehem Steel. So the shot department, pretty big difference there. Um, we're going to talk about attendance later, so I won't mention what happened there. <laughs> I said uh, Bethlehem's keeper did it a good double safe on a penalty kick in this game, too, at the oh, very end of the first half. Good. Way to kick it's in there. For, yeah, it's up for save of the week if you want to see that one. 
Very nice. A lot of good saves this week, too. Um, oh, yeah. This was <laughs> there were ones left off that easily could win. Yeah, because I think I declared that a couple should have won, and, and I, I missed a few other ones. So, yeah, a lot of good saves this week. Uh, let's move to Charleston Battery. They won 2-1 to one over Hartford. That's the second loss for Hartford. Uh, Zico Lewis scored in the 17th minute, and Dante Marini, uh, the type is small, so sorry if I got that wrong. He scored in the 73rd minute. 16 shots to 12 in Charleston's favor. Relatively close, 53% possession to them. Pass accuracy is pretty equal, around 75%. Close game. So um, even though Hartford's lost twice, the, the the two teams didn't look that much different on paper, at least. Yeah, um, well, I think I was basically Charleston was the much better team. The only shot on goal from Hartford was a penalty kick late in the game. Oh, yeah, the only one shot on target. Okay. So, yeah, I think Charleston dominated, but scoreline making made it look a little bit closer than it was yeah Hartford I, I saw some highlights last week they didn't look too good last week but Charleston as we expected is chugging along doing their thing is that a, a win and a draw for them I believe <laughs> yeah welcome to the welcome to your fourth fifth sixth seed Charleston yet again <laughs> there you go uh that's Pony giving his uh typical Charleston love there um Memphis 901 uh, scored one goal. Loudon United one goal. Loudon didn't look as as bad as I expected them to in their second game. First game was a little rough to me still, um, but they're starting to look a little bit like a an academy team, which is they're gonna try to play pretty soccer, and it's gonna it's gonna hurt them sometimes. But then sometimes you're gonna get flashes of, of nice play. Griffin Yao's goal was a bit of a bouncing around ball, so it wasn't necessarily beautiful. But um, I do believe there was some build up uh, to that goal. Um, Elliot Collier scored. Oh yeah, and he said in that article that we read earlier, we mentioned earlier that he just knew he was going to score, um, wearing that black armband around his around his arm for uh, Ada. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting storyline. Again, read that article. But um, yeah, a draw here, Memphis to Loudon one to one. Anyone expect that? <laughs> I thought Memphis might win. Does this say that Memphis is bad or that Loudon's not that terrible or both? What do we think? It's both. Both teams' second game. I mean, can we really say much more than that? Yeah, I, I mean, we both. We see something. Although, a good thing to point out, the Loudon guy who scored actually got signed by the D.C. main team today. Oh, I saw I that. He actually, yeah, he actually got a contract, so good yeah, on him. The, fir- the first team? Wow. A uh, homegrown contract. Yeah, homegrown contract. Yeah. But still, okay. Well, that is still impressive. Yeah, I mean, he's been a part of the the youth national team set up for a long time. He's a he's a name to remember, Griffin Yell. So, so do follow him. Uh, next game is RGV Toro zero Fresno two. Um, I mentioned Basaljevic uh, earlier. This kid, this guy looks good. He um, came up in the Red Bull system and spent a couple years in Scandinavia and Denmark and Sweden and came back to Fresno. And he looks like almost like a Tyler Adams type or even a McKinney where he's in the midfield. He can be um, the kind of guy who can kind of press and and intercept a ball. But when he goes forward, both of these goals were started by Basiljevic in the midfield. And then he bombs forward and they do a couple, a little bit of interplay in the box and he scores a goal. Twice. Uh, one was at a funny angle. Anyone else see some of this? Is is he a New York Red Bulls product or one of the other Red Bull teams? Oh, I'm sorry. New York Red Bulls for sure. New, he is, New York. Okay. He is an American, him. even though his name is Basiljevic. Um, he, I really think this kid, this guy is going to be really good this year. Um, underestimated, even like an Alex Martinez type that scores and assists. So, yeah, I'm excited yeah. about him. 
Yeah, for I'm hosting Reno is going to be an interesting game this weekend. Yeah, completely agree. That's that's going to be one to watch. I'm gonna I've been meaning to catch Orange County. Um, our our guy Alan Underwood. Oh boy, everyone okay? Uh, our boy <laughs> Alan Underwood. Um, wrote a uh, wrote about Orange County. Uh, what do you call those? He reflected on the game, <laughs> a recap. And um, so you go ahead and read about that. He did a great job. He's dipping into writing and just wanted to plug him because he's always around, including tonight in the chat. Um, but yeah, speaking of Orange County, they scored three goals against Tulsa, scored five. What does everyone think? <laughs> Is this going to keep happening for Tulsa? Helfrey's over or something? Man, 5-3. <laughs> Unbelievable. Orange yeah. County off to a terrible start. Yeah, a couple of the goals for Tulsa are just breakdowns on the Orange County defense, just bad mistakes. But this has been two weeks in a row of Orange County looking not too good. I mean, I think we all had them as a pretty high team. And at this point, I've been dropping quickly down our draft. First round of our draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of faith in them. They're one of my favorite teams. They play pretty, and I like I like how they go, go about their business. But um, it's well, not It's one of those things. Them. They didn't make too many changes uh, in the off season, it, nothing that you know felt like it was going to shock the system. Uh, I mean, Anna Voldson, you know, left, but I, you know, I, I felt like they were probably still going to be all right. And if they did so well last season, then you know, why not? Why wouldn't we put them near the, the top and pick them out first round, second in the West? I think, if I remember right, because I think Phoenix went first. Um, but yeah, like the other thing too to talk about this is that they were up two nil. Just before the half, and then Tulsa started their comeback with a f- penalty kick after Orange County's penalty kick in stoppage time of first half. Tulsa got a penalty kick in the stoppage time of first half to get one back, and then just went on a tear. <laughs> yeah, five unanswered goals for Tulsa there. Unbelievable. Two leads, the most dangerous thing in soccer, as they say. <laughs> Alan's, true. Alan's kicking in here saying that the keeper's bad and um, that Walker Hume is slow. I think Hume is a uh, center back, if I'm not mistaken. So The keeper is bad, and he should feel bad. <laughs> yeah, they need to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, well, I just get the feeling they usually make pretty good moves during the season and find some good loans. Last year might have been especially good, and maybe they won't do as well this year with with player acquisition. But last year they got some good players throughout the year, and so maybe they'll do that again this year because it just feels like they don't have a complete team right now. Who's their MLS affiliate? LAFC. Supposed to be, but they send all their good players to Phoenix, right? So Yeah, they just sent a bunch of players over to Phoenix. Yeah, so what, uh, Joshua Perez, who got called up today to, I believe, the U-20s. No, U-23s. Um, Jordan Brewster, uh, whatever his first name is, went over there. So Blackman's back, yeah. The only thing that, and again, you know, I follow an MLS side, I follow an MLS 2 side, um, as far as the whole, like, relationship between MLS and USL. I feel that, you know, the, the affiliations are good, but they have to be used. And I just don't, I just, I think if, if an MLS side is not going to take advantage or, or leave a USL side hanging, just don't do it. Like just don't affiliate just to affiliate and then send one player. Maybe like either commit to your four, make a good relationship with your, with your USL side if you choose not to have a two side and, and then just commit to it, man, don't mm-hmm. sit there and drag someone on like, Oh, maybe we, maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't know. Yes. 
<clears throat> this is not a freaking high school relationship. Yeah. I completely agree with you, uh, Kev. And there's a lot of those still around, the really bad affiliations. They are starting to disappear, but Alan did want to reiterate that LAFC's affiliation with them is is over with the OC. So Okay, it is. Okay. Yeah, cool. just to be clear. So, um, cool. yeah. So hopefully, or it looks like they can get someone from everywhere. And that's another thing I do want to say, that in, independent sides are looking more and more to go away from the affiliation because they just have complete freedom then. And then why not? You know, like they can pick up any team, any player they want without anyone getting angry and they can use them however the heck they want. So, um, it's well, just, the other thing too with that is you can set up the loan that says, Hey, team MLS team a, or, or La Liga team a, or whoever, anywhere, really, we'd like to, you know, loan, take your player on loan and, and they can sign contracts and do all this stuff that says both teams commit to playing player X, you know, and sticking with the loan, you know, there, cause you, you know, with the way it works in the premier league and other places, you have to have like recall clauses written into the contract when you're doing individual player loans. And I, I think you're right. Like an individual, an independent team would, would be better off to do something like that. Hey, we're open to, you know, loan anybody, but we want to make sure that, that whoever loans them to us is committed to keep it here, or we can write off a, write a recall clause in the contract and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Details, you know, yep. protect both sides. Yep. And, and we're not even talking about the bad side of MLS USL loans. So uh, there's so yeah. much more to cover, and I know we'll hit it this year once that starts happening. Um, let's move on to the games that we did watch, get a little more in-depth. We're about halfway through, so we got plenty of time to, uh, to go here. Let's start with the Charlotte Indy 11 game. This was a good one. Uh, Ryan, I know you watched it. You want to start us off? Yes, we had uh, three goals and for any that kind of just open score on uh, Kelly King in the 12th, Tyler Gibson in, in the 15th, Thomas and Nobolson in the 69th, and then Charlotte answered back with two of their own with the Dominic Oduro in the 73rd and Juga in, in the 83rd. It just it seemed like Indy you know, controlled a lot of the play through the first half of this match. I mean, eventually Charlotte did get back into it and nearly made it a pretty decent game in the second, and definitely the second half was their better of the two halves. It just looked like Indy knew what they were doing and took care of business in the first, and that ended up being enough for the win. I kind of want to disagree with you. So I watched it, and, you know, Indy got three goals. They were up. They were up ahead. I really felt like after their first two goals in the first half, they were – you know, it's early, so they've got to defend that. And they were they were on top of things throughout the first half. In the second half, after they went up three nil, I really felt like they kind of just let off the gas and were like, "All right, cool, we're up three nil away. We can just relax, chill, cruise to an easy win." And Charlotte, to their credit, did not give up and then made them pay and made it look like in the last you know 15, 18 minutes that Indy was uh, was either going to fall apart potentially, maybe maybe get a draw, or that they just I don't they didn't look that good defensively at that at that end. And I just I don't think it's anything too much to uh, Indy's fault other than just they did not stay focused for ninety minutes. Yeah, and so if you go and listen, or sorry, read up um, Richard Rainwater and Brian Cook. I say it every week. These guys are always writing stuff about Indy Eleven, and they're such an interesting team this year because of all the tactical moves they've been making and all the players that they get to play with. Um, there's so many ways they can set up. Nashville's the same way, and uh, sometimes there's always seems to be one or two good players left out. So 
the big thing they said about this was, yeah, the good thing was that Indy, or Indy 11 attacked like you kind of expected their talent to be able to do for the first time because they didn't last week against St. Louis. Um, but then again, um, they wore out or they loosened up and the three in the back, which they're going with a, a form of a 3-4-3, the three in the back weren't able to hold the line for 90 minutes, just like against St. Louis. So um, that's something to watch is they're trying to get some cohesion in the back. They're trying to be able to have legs to cover a full game with three in the back because it is more running for a true center back. Um, so watch watch that. Watch whether they're going to be able to defend and whether they stick with three in the back throughout the whole season. Um, they're starting to think that at some point they may have to draw a line if, if they lose too many games and, and switch back over to just a, a more simple lineup that has more coverage. Well, in, in this case, it was to their favor that they were able to get the win. But, yeah, you know, say that it was 2-2, two, two, like, I mean, if it had still been 2 and then Charlotte came back at 2, it, after like the 70th minute, really it was all Charlotte at that point. And then the other thing, like I remember on the broadcast, you could hear, almost hear Rennie in the background screaming for his guys to get back on mm-hmm. one of the goals. I can't remember if it was the first or second one. Um, but it's like if I hear the coach screaming to get back and they're not doing it and the other opposite team gets a goal, it's like I, you guys shut off too early, man. You shut off too early. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So- I must say, I know I made a comment that Indy is not a team built to defend a lead. They're a team that just needs to keep pushing it's one of those where their, their defense is not a defense that can hold out for the last half hour of game and get points. They're going to give up a goal at some point or two goals. I think they they need to go, okay, we'll win four nothing. Then say we're going to defend a two nothing lead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just don't, don't let off the gas and you'll be fine. But can they, can they step on the gas the whole game for sure? Um, here's my plug for BGN written on Twitter. You can also go to uslnews.com to check out anything written, not just about USL, about a whole lot of different things, including league one. Now we have a, a girl uh, writing for uh, women's soccer as well. So uh, all good stuff, right? Okay. Uh, moving on to the next game, ATL UTD two zero Louisville one. Uh, Ryan, why don't you start us off for this one? And Carson's going to kick in here, I hope. <laughs> so, Abadu and Bake Thiem, I, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. I hope I did. Scored in the 72nd minute as Louisville's Sokol, and that was after he came onto the pitch in the 63rd. So, it's good to see him make a pretty crucial substitution. I will say, at least starting off, that ATL UCD2 is much better at KSU Stadium than Corey Field from last year. It's just better to be on a soccer field than baseball oh, for at least for Atlanta's sake. And there were some weird camera angles, but I, what I thought was interesting was that Atlanta outshot Louisville in this game, 12, seven, but Louisville led on shots on target, 37 clearances from Louisville. I guess I think the big goal from this was that they got the three points and got out of there with their first one of the season. But would it be a concerning factor going forward that they were outshot by Bulls amongst one of the worst sides in the East last season? I know my my problems with the last game was that their defense defense didn't look as solid as years past. So I think yes, I think to a certain extent yes. Granted, a lot of those ATL shots were kind of bad, um, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with uh, Hartford. So I wouldn't be as worried. But again, it's an academy side that they're going to be a little rough building out of the back, even though they're forced to. But they have some attackers that can really do something special, and, and they had. Lots of good looks on goal, where if they just kind of figured out their finishing, this game could have ended differently. I'm cutting over to uh, 
uh, Carson from Lou City. He's just saying that they got to gain, gain uh, they got to gain that championship uh, champion confidence. So um, yeah, I don't. Louisville doesn't look like Louisville right now, and so we'll see if they can build it. Ownby's still there, looking like a champ. Uh, Spencer's not finishing like Lancaster. That could be another uh, another one. Anyone else on ATL Louisville? Okay, I think they'll 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 get it they'll get it together. You know what I didn't know is uh, Ryan. You mentioned that they're playing on a soccer pitch now. Is that like a training facility, or I, I can't remember what that what that hap- what happened there. So that's uh, Kennesaw State University's stadium. Uh, Atlanta, had, or proper, has used that for um, a lot of their CCL matches and their Open Cup match against uh, Charleston this past season before they go all in at uh, Mercedes-Benz. But I think that's kind of like a second home to uh, the Atlanta side. It just seems like it's a better fit for uh, ATL UT2. And I will say for um, Louisville, they, one of their forwards, uh, Sonny James, former Wilmington Hammerhead, so... Uh, He's definitely a good fit. He always worked hard when he was in Wilmington and Richmond. Did you say Fernando? No, Sonny Jane. Sonny Jane, sorry. Okay. Yeah, I didn't College? Know. I might have missed him. College soccer stadiums work for two sides. I can vouch for that. <laughs> I like it better. I got to see an open cup game with Louisville in the uh, Louisville University field, which was gorgeous. It was beautiful. So I think it's great. I, I wish it would happen more often for sure. Well, if if uh, if no one's got anything to do on what is it the twenty third Saturday, I think T two is going to open at Merlot Field. Um, catch that if you've got you uh, ESPN Plus, wherever it's going to be aired. Um, if you haven't seen that field, it's it's pretty gorgeous as far as college soccer fields go. I keep really meaning gorgeous. to see if ESPN will uh, sponsor us to to do ads for ESPN Plus because we basically do. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Like, how else are we going to watch this, the game? Yeah, well, maybe just like convince you. There's League One Championship FA Cup. I mean, there was a fantastic Millwall Brighton match this past FA Cup weekend. I seriously, I love it so much. I've even watched League One games. It's been great. League One in the U in uh, UK. That is. Um, cool. Um, let's move on. Real Monarchs zero, El Paso locomotive zero. Pony, why don't you tell us about this one? Yeah, this was a weird game. Going into it, we thought, I think we all thought the Monarchs would easily run away with this. They looked really good in their first week draw against Sacramento and coming in against El Paso team playing at home. I think, I mean, I was expecting like a two, three, zero type win for the Monarchs. Then things kind of went south very early for them. They lost player due to injury about 20 minutes into the game 30 just over 30 minutes into the game they lost a player to a red card on the professional foul one goal or it's like the it was one of those where i saw the foul I'm like the boy this might be a red or could be yellow and ref went for the red first red card of the season right there but at that point they had to make another sub so just over half hour into the game monarchs are two subs down one player down and then comes Ochoa leaking back to him, and he went on an absolute defensive tear. This kid, he's playing on the under-20 national team, is I think more than 10 years younger than all of us, except Brian, because, you know, Brian. Doesn't count. But <laughs> <laughs> younger than me. It's one of those. He had a nine-save shutout, being down a man, and having only one sub available in the second half. And I don't know how that's not player of the week. I just, I still don't understand that. 
this kid is going to take the Monarchs far. They always have an amazing keeper. They had Connor Sparrow for a few years, who is now moved on, and he was one of the best keepers in the league. Mm-hmm. And now Ochoa stepped into his shoes, and it's hard to say. It's surprising to say that Sparrow is gone and their new keeper is just as good, but this kid is just as good. He might be the best keeper in the league right now. And if the Monarchs could be down a man for 60 minutes, it's granted not a great team, but still get a point. And they had chances to score too in that 60 minutes. They had a few good chances. I think the Monarchs are still a good team, and this is not going to be a good memory for El Paso if their season continues like this. You have to score a goal if you're up a man for 60 minutes. There's no excuse there. Yeah. yeah. Did they get a lot more? Yeah, they had a lot more chances once they went down a man, though, right? Yeah, they had a lot more chances. I mean, the first half hour was just dominated by the Monarchs. Mm. They probably yeah, should have won one goal by that point. Yeah, once the Monarchs went down a man, El Paso outshot them 12 points, which is just a bigger testament to how well Ochoa did in goal. Yeah. Yeah, give nine save shutout. That's keeper. That's player of the week to me. Love it, love it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna back you. I think he deserves it. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely convinced me. I wish now I had voted, had gotten in time to vote, and had voted for him. Um, I at least can say I didn't vote. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but no, as far as I saw that red card, um, and, and you know, it's uh, the defender was the last one there. The the player got in front of him. The El Paso attacker got in front the lightest of the light breezy touches to the back and the guy goes over it sucks but denial of a goal scoring opportunity is the red and uh in that case probably i mean if there's any interpretation of the rule yes it should have been a yellow because i mean he barely touched him but it's kind of one of those things where it's like that man that that was the rule and that sucks yeah it was that early which was why i surprised it was yellow if it was like 70th minute yes it's red all day but that early in the game, it's usually a little bit more of a gray area. Well, especially with the pro referees, like they always love to interpret it and just, oh, I'll give them a yellow instead. It's surprising that someone would actually go by the book for once, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I feel you on that feeling. Um, okay, cool. Let's move on to Tampa Bay Rowdies to Pittsburgh Riverhounds zero. Not sure I expected this per se, but maybe the old Tampa Bay Rowdies are back. Ryan, what do you think? The overreaction is Tampa Bay is back. Just from like their first few games, they have six points, and it just seems like they have at least a better setup. Digging more into stats, this shot battle was 6-6, and the only shots on target of the night were Tampa Bay's shots on goal. So it still seems like they have some development left to go. They barely let in possession 50.5 to 49.5, but it just seems like Tampa played like they were more like normal Tampa from years prior that we know i think what's going to be the big suspect is can they perform well on the road they got that opening week win in memphis but they need to be consistent with that and one cause for concern would be that getting six shots a game i mean i I think there was more to playing towards pittsburgh's kind of style but getting six shots a game it might not always be enough to win games but overall i want to say that tampa has definitely improved i'm shocked i got them in the third round of the team draft and it looks like they had a tremendous crowd on hand i know uh mike pendleton had one fantastic photo op from the corner of the stadium that just looks like it was a lot of fun atmosphere what did they look like ryan do they look what kind of soccer do they play do you know what i mean like what are they like it, i want to say it's diff 
it, they definitely seem like they've done well offensively and it I it's like weird I, it's still like just two games in a season I think it's kind of tough to gauge how well some of these teams are and especially this was Pittsburgh's first game of the years mm-hmm. but I feel like by the time we get into mid-April we'll start seeing a lot more of what these teams are like I I just feel like Tampa has definitely improved from where they were last year. Gutierrez is definitely an improvement based off of their stuff. And even Brandon Allen down there with Tampa as well. That's right. Which, which to me is more of a negative and, and who knows if Tampa Bay, uh, that's a joke. Pardon me. That was mean. Uh, but, um, Tampa Bay, who knows, maybe they're better than even the 2-0 because maybe the Riverhounds are that good. Uh, but also it was their first game. So hard to tell. Like you said, Pony, did you see this one? Uh, parts of it. I kind of need, before, before I said Tampa Bay's back, I need them to, if they show up next week against St. Louis on the road, then yes, Tampa Bay is back. Mm. But until then, I mean, they beat Pittsburgh at home and they beat Memphis, who is not good on the road. It would be like last year, instead of being Memphis, they beat like Atlanta 2 on the road. It's one nothing. It's like, that. okay, we can't get too excited about that yet. I, I need to see their home woes broken against someone who is actually a good side although I, yes i think they're a good team i know with ryan it was we are i think we have the same idea one of us is going to take tampa one of us is going to take the monarchs and that into the draft I, I know i went with the monarchs and i'm still not unhappy about that yet but we'll see <laughs> i'm exactly with you and and honestly even if they don't win against st louis but if they look cl- if it's close you know it's looking like maybe St. Louis is good. I know I'm the wrong person to say that, but um, a lot of hard tests for Tampa Bay after that first week. So we'll see what they look like away. I completely agree with you there. Um, Birmingham, Legion, zero. Ottawa Fury, one. Um, Legion's not looking like a great team per se yet. A long way to go. I will say they look like a physical team, maybe one of the most physicals I've te- uh, teams I've seen in the USL. Um, but Ottawa looked kind of like um, a little bit like I was thinking they might look. They're looking pretty good, even though it was only 1-0. Did anyone else watch this game? If not, that's fine. I'm gonna, I just didn't want to talk too long without giving someone else an opportunity. Um, but they are possessing the ball more under Nikola Popovich, who's able to implement his system a little better. Again, I think because Wall Fall's in there and uh, Charlie Ward is in there, who Charlie Ward is just the, uh, the pass master. Um, and then a lot of other things. I thought it was interesting because Kevin Oliveira was another good pickup for them. Um, and he's kind of playing as like a false nine. And so Francois and Hayworth are on the wings. Hayworth is folding in and he scored a goal on this one doing just that. So interesting that they're playing with the ball on the ground. If they lose the ball, they're pressing hard to get it back. And that's kind of how they got this game. Um, they won this game, but, um, no target forward. So they're not, you're not going to see a ton of balls in the air unless it's on a counter attack to, uh, mostly Francois working his butt off. Good trade there. Uh, worth maybe the 20,000, I hope. Um, but I won't talk too much more about this one. Um, we'll just move on to Colorado Springs, switchback zero, Sac Republic one. I'm going to throw it a pony, of course. Yeah, this was a game I was actually really looking forward to because before the season started, I kind of put my chips on Colorado Springs as a team everyone's actually sleeping on. And I still think they are. I think Colorado Springs is going to be not a league winner, but they could be a dangerous five seed in the West. And this game kind of proved it again. Sacramento ended up winning one nothing on a second half penalty kick. 
that Colorado Springs was probably really lucky not to have their guy sent off for. It's one of those awkward tackles where the defender seems to realize he needs to pull up way too late and makes it worse. But both teams had a lot of chances. Sacramento's defense looks a lot better this year, which was their their weak point last season. I know they had a few Colorado Springs had a few great chances blocked by both Cohen and the keeper and a couple of good defensive just throw the body in the way. But overall, I mean, I think these are two teams that you want to see. You're going to be afraid to see come late season. They're both very solid defensively. They both have a lot of good scoring players. I mean, we saw Colorado Springs not the first hat trick of the year in the first week, and they had plenty of chances in the second week. But I mean, this is just it's hard to say. It's one of those matches where it's a very tight one. Either team could have got the win easily and probably should have been draw given how both teams played. But Sacramento squeaks out three points to, and both teams stay undefeated, both on four points now. And we'll see moving forward. I know we might talk about this team later, but Sacramento, Oklahoma City is probably the game of the week for me this coming week. And the good news is it's Sunday, so you don't have to worry about watching it Saturday. <laughs> that is nice, actually. A good Sunday game is nice every once in a while. So, Do you yeah, go to the games, Pony? Uh, sometimes I might go to this one. Yeah. It's, I usually don't want it Saturday at seven o'clock because it means I miss almost every single game of the entire week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But two o'clock on Sunday, I might try to make it out there. Yeah. I'm excited that St. Louis is at one, uh, this week. So for the same reason. And, uh, speaking of that, let's talk about their game against Nashville. Um, a win against Indy at home last week and <coughs> a win against Nashville away this week for my team, St. Louis. That's a good start if those teams are as good as we think they might be based on who they have. Um, Kevin, I know you watched this one. Do you want to talk about it before I go too crazy? Um, yeah, I watched some of it. And um, because I was hoping that, like, as the first pick in our draft, that, hey, Nashville can can do some business. But uh, I, I don't think that uh, – I shouldn't say I don't think that they're as bad as they're looking right now. I like Louisville. I think they're just unfortunately needing some time to warm up. St. Louis, however, um, man, they seem to be the real deal, don't they? And in addition to that, um, I hope it's not like like Real Monarch Syndrome where like you do just amazing out of the gate for the first half of the season and all of a sudden, like, where'd you go? The second half of the season. Um, if you keep it going, you guys are going to be top three in the East easy. Uh, it was a fun game to watch for a 1-0 game. <laughs> it was actually pretty entertaining. Yeah, I agree. It was it was close. Um, the only the only weird thing. So I I will just say that I think St. Louis's defense is a bit of a neutralizer to really quality teams because Indy didn't look that good in in week one, but gosh, they looked amazing against Charlotte. Again, that could be Charlotte. Uh, just like we're going to be saying a lot this week, not being <laughs> super good on defense. But um, here we are against another team we expect to be good in Nashville. They, they didn't look all that great this week against St. Louis. So I think there's something to be said about the defensive system, especially that St. Louis has. Um, but, you know, they're not looking to hold the ball against at least these two really quality teams, only working, looking to counter. And they were both times able to kind of get a ball on a free kick or a corner. And um, that's how they're scoring right now. So we're, they're not scoring through run of play all that well. And so that's something that I hope develops uh, in order to keep them nice and high in the East, as well as keeping them going, like you said, Kevin, throughout the whole season. I'm curious what's going to happen. I'm not bought in completely, but it's a sure as hell a, a good sign from the start. 
Yeah, it's a good start. And that was a really good header that Calvert put in off the corner for their, for their goal. You know, the other thing we got to remember <laughs> is that, yes, Nashville won their first game, but it was against Ludon United, and they only won 2-0. Mm. So part of me is kind of wondering, like, you know, Ludon didn't score. St. Louis got one goal, a good goal. So maybe the, the national defense is where it was at last season. But as we remember, they couldn't buy themselves a goal to save their lives for most parts. Um, they brought in some attackers, uh, established USL attackers, to hopefully remedy that. So maybe some of their troubles might be with their attackers not yet gelling. I'm kind of hoping that because, again, I picked them number one. I kind of want them to win the USL Cup. I don't know why, but just so I can <laughs> feel validated. Um, but besides that, like maybe that's the problem. If it's not, then they are going to and they're going to continue to have some struggles, particularly in scoring. Uh, then it's going to be last season all over again, whether they've got MLS funny money or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Embarrassment of riches to a certain extent, um, but we don't have time to talk about that more. Let's move to OKC2, Las Vegas Lights 1. It sounds like Pony watched this one. Pony, did you catch it? Uh, I think I caught the same last 30 minutes like everyone (laughs) did because that's when all the early games ended. Same. (laughs) But, I mean, it was a decent game from what I saw OKC looks good so far this season. I'm actually really interested in their next two weeks because they've won both beat El Paso, who I think we all have as one of the worst teams in the West. And then they won at home against Vegas, who lost 75% of the road games last year. And they, I mean, Vegas had their chances in this one. Oklahoma City was the better team. But I'm actually really interested to see how Oklahoma City fares against the top dogs over the next couple weeks. But I mean, they look solid. I think they are a team with more upside than most of us thought they were. I think we all had them as that, yeah, they're going to be somewhere from like 6 to 10, but they actually might break into that a little bit higher than they thought. And Vegas might be a little bit lower than we than some of us had. Yeah, I think we all had Vegas as, oh, they're going to be like the most improved team. They're going to bounce up the from where they were last year. They're going to be okay on the road. They're going to put in more goals. And they're not going to be just this pure chaotic team on all ends of the ball and I haven't quite seen that yet but no. let's see I, I think uh who was it? didn't Ryan yeah I watched a little bit more of this game than we did yeah I watched the uh kind of opening 20 minutes I was actually doing side-by-side broadcasts and another really fun thing about ESPN plus but <laughs> it, it was funny it's like I remember like typing into our podcast group chat that I was like I don't know why everyone is so high on OKC this year. The second I hit send, Sean Brown scores the opening goal of this Nats, and I was like, oh, that's what I get for her doubting them. They definitely, OKC definitely looked a lot stronger in this match, and it, I, it'll be interesting to follow them along. They are currently leading the Western Conference ELO ratings at an 11-19 rating. That's only a point behind NCFC, who's at an 11-20, who currently leads the league. So they'll be second. It's it'll be interesting to follow how OKC performs this season. It will be. Um, I really enjoyed, like just like Pony, I caught the end of this game, um, and I was really impressed by Omar Gordon. But I think he's going to have kind of like a Francois role. And when I went back and rewatched all the highlights, I realized that Deshaun Brown started a lot of those plays where Omar was making really awesome flashes and showing his athleticism down the field. Brown's finish in the first goal was really good, and Deshaun started the second goal. 
where Omar uh, did a great job. And Omar almost had a really good cross for a goal um, that, uh, I don't know, it was either a badish finish or goodish save. So <laughs> anyway, I'm with Pony on lights. I thought they were going to be better too, but they're not looking good so far. I thought they were going to have a bit of a baller kind of attitude to them. And they don't look like a, a great team, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm way off the lights right now. I want to be real obvious about that. So, um, yeah, let's move on, though, to San Antonio 1. Portland Timbers 2 scored three goals. Kev, tell us about the Timbers. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I was a little bit surprised on this. Um, I went back and watched the 1-1 draw from last week, and I was like, okay, well, I, like that kind of makes sense given where they were at last season. Um, but this game, I was kind of like, where are we sure that this is T2 that's playing? Um Todd Wharton, previously of RGV Toros for three seasons, got his first goal for Portland in the 18th minute. Um, he went around the keeper. What the big thing with this goal, though, was the fact that it was, um, I don't remember who passed it to Langsdorf, but Langsdorf had just a brief t- touch right through uh, to Wharton. And so that goal is all about the assist. Um, I was kind of, my, my jaw kind of dropped before. I was like, wait, what? We can play soccer? Mm-hmm. Um and so I was like, well, that, that that's cool. And then Jack Barnby, previously of T2, came back and equalized with a PK. And I'm like, oh, here's here, here it goes. I kind of was expecting maybe a 3-1 San Antonio win. Um, but uh but but you know, my T2, they they shocked me, um, pleasantly shocked me. They looked like an actual team and looked like they knew how to play soccer. And Marvin Loria, as we had mentioned earlier, um, got a brace. And they got he got Portland's uh, next two goals and kind of showed why you know he was he was pretty good last season. It was good enough to earn himself a first team contract. So he is on loan from the first team instead of just being signed to T two. And he showed it off in this game why that maybe some sometimes a lot of the fans, especially after their FCC game, are calling for Loria to join the first team and say, "Hey, maybe you can get us some goals." Mm. Um, if he continues to play like this, I would expect him to get some MLS minutes, maybe a, a bench substitute. I'm not sure. Um, depends on perhaps the desperation of Saurese with the first team. Um, I think they like to give their guys minutes with T2. Um, a lot of fans here in Portland kind of complain that, that uh, Portland does not play the kids, so to speak. Um, that's the name of my podcast, Rest in Peace. Uh <laughs> Now, T2 or Timbers, the organization has like three players that were called up to like under 20s or under 23s or whatever, which was like one or two more than, than everybody else or maybe other than San Jose. Um, but like Reifer on Twitter had said, they all played for like a combined 1,874 minutes in the past three seasons. So, I mean, yes, we have a lot of young talent. Um, it shows with T2, particularly what they did last season and what they appear to be doing this season but they do not get uh, the minutes with the first team. So if T2 is going to do this and, and commit to developing young talent and commit them to developing with T2, that's fine as long as they're consistent. Um, and part of that is going to be playing like they did against San Antonio. So And San Antonio, they show that they were a good team. Um, again, I was a little bit surprised that T2 were able to hold out and not give up a goal because there were some some a couple times where San Antonio really came close to getting at least one more, and it could have been either a 2-2 draw. I mean, this game really probably could have ended 4-3 in favor of Portland um, with some of the chances on how close they came. 
Um, it was a really fun game to watch, actually. Nice. I know the San Antonio guys are high on Barnby right now, and I'm not surprised to hear that either. So now, and which is totally fine because Barnby is a good player, but his ceiling is USL. Like I saw that with the two or three seasons that he played with Portland and mostly T2. Um, he's a good player. He's a great midfielder, good attacker. There's nothing wrong with him at all. And there's definitely nothing wrong with like mentality or anything like that. He's a great guy. It's just his talent ceiling is absolutely USL championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. You see so, that a lot. Yeah. The Timbers were just kind of cut him out and we'll probably talk in the next game about another player that the, Timbers or T2 cut from their roster and who scored two goals. <laughs> right on. Okay. So let's move on though to uh, another team or a group with a couple of teams that play the kids. Uh, one is Tacoma defiance. They scored zero goals, but Los Dos scored three. Uh, just quickly, this game was exactly what I said earlier about, um, about Academy teams, especially Tacoma was trying to play prettier soccer um, out of the back and Lostos was a little more practical in this game. And so you saw them doing the hard work, getting the turnovers, going for second balls as the announcer said a million times, but it was a good point to make because a lot of the goals came off of just working hard in the midfield and getting turnovers. So, um, that's the interesting thing, thing there. A lot of young kids, but Leva and Atencio as dual sixes, those are the guys to watch on that team. I think they have the most potential. So always watch Tacoma for uh, those two and several more playmakers and attackers on that team that have a lot of potential. Los Dos also has several good players, but I don't want to labor that too much because we I talk about it a lot. Um, let's finish with... I think, well, there is one oh, interesting thing. To me, one fun stat that comes from that one, LA Los Dos currently hold, holds record for the biggest loss at home and the biggest win on the road in the USL this season. We're all terribly surprised, right? (laughs) No, that's, that's exactly what we expect from them. Uh, they kind of ping pong back and forth on that, but, uh, yeah, maybe they'll find some middle ground. I was, I always hope they will. Um, so that record's going to go away eventually. It's only three goals. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Someone's go ahead. (laughs) Two, two of those goals are scored by Augustine Williams. Who's who started his professional career with T2. Yeah, I say I saw Augustine. I'm like, I know this name. Where do I know this name from? I've seen the score sheet. Yeah, he is, he's from Southern California, though. We got oh, him okay. from the Nomads Academy or something or some club club team. He made the uh, starting eleven of the week, if I'm not mistaken, which is right below there. Yeah, he did. So um, I saw one of his goals. It was fine, <laughs> but I didn't see the other one. Maybe the other one was better. Um, let's finish up. I think this was the last game. Um, bit of a stunner for me. Phoenix Rising 3, New Mexico United 3. Um, Ryan, I know you watched this for sure. I think, Pony, you caught it. Ryan, you want to start us off, though? What a match for just late night USL. This one ended past midnight into the wee hours of the morning on the East Coast. But you basically had... Uh, Phoenix jump out, oh, or sorry, uh, New Mexico jumps out with a brilliant Santiago goal in the 16th minute, and then you have Phoenix answer back with two penalties from Solomon Asante, 29 and 48. Amor gets a brace at 55. I, I am absolutely forgetting Kevin Frater in this. I'm so sorry, but I, overall, this was like a very fantastic match it was even in shots 14 12 or it was relatively even in shots 14 12 phoenix 8 6 shots on target phoenix 
I think a draw was the most fair result for this match. Pony, did you catch it? Uh, caught parts of this one. I mean, I'm not sure if this is more I should be concerned about what's happening in Phoenix after this is their second 3-3 draw. Or if this is New Mexico being decent, this is their second draw too after drawing with Fresno in week one. I kind of am out on both teams until I see more information because they both look good at times. They also both look really shaky at times, especially on defense and especially Phoenix on defense. I don't think they had this problem last year where they just give up this many goals. And even though they scored three, two were penalty kicks, I believe. So it's, they're not scoring from open play like you'd really want them to, especially against New Mexico, who I know Ryan was saying he's high on them, but I've actually gone down on them since the season started because, well, maybe Frozen is better than we thought, and this Phoenix game was interesting too, but I, 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 I think New Mexico is good, but I don't think they're a contender, and I'm getting more and more nervous about Phoenix being that top team in the West as time moves on. I think I'm still stuck there because who else is it going to be? I mean, Sacramento, maybe Oklahoma City, maybe if they play someone good, but the West has really got chaotic and neither of these teams look like world beaters right now. And for two teams, people are high on. I know in the YouTube chat, I saw, I think people were way too high on New Mexico. I think they got actually overrated before the season started. It's just going to be interesting to see how this moves on. I'd like to see both these teams next few weeks to actually answer questions because right now, all I've done is raise more questions to me. Yeah. The thing is with Phoenix, we've seen that they do start, they did it last year at least, they started the season with pretty bad defense and it really hurt them early on, but then they solidified it. Last year though, it solidified when they got Blackman and a couple other players from um, from LAFC. Or no, I think one came from New York City FC, interestingly. Um, so we'll see if maybe that's a trend. Go ahead. What's big coming from Phoenix will be their next two matches at home, hosting Colorado Springs and Fresno. Yeah, both talented teams doing pretty well this year, so that's a good uh, measuring uh, measuring tool for that. But and if you compare it from uh, New Mexico, they host Tulsa next match, in fact, tomorrow, actually, and then uh, go on the road to Orange County. I agree with you, Pony, about New Mexico, though. Santi Moore's not going to do that every week, you know, and even Kevon Freighter's uh, goal was still like pretty, you know, far out. It was a great, I mean, all three of those goals were incredible. It's just not going to happen every week. Phoenix gave them so much space that they were able, able to score from distance multiple times. So, um, you know, both those teams, teams to watch. I agree with both your, your points there though, Pony. Uh, any other thoughts about games this week? That's the last one, uh, that we were going to talk about. We are uh, probably need to cut it off there. We were going to talk about attendance, and there's a lot of good stuff to unpack there, but maybe we can try to do that next week because we're going pretty long. So um, at this point, I'm just going to let you guys all introduce yourselves before we sign off. Ryan, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at ILM underscore Ryan. Kevin? I am on Twitter at PDX. And Pony? On Twitter at USL underscore pony. All right. And I'm Phil Grooms. You can find me two L's, two O's, Phil Grooms on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening and interacting on our chat. Uh, we do this every Tuesday night. In case you're listening on the podcast, we meet at 9 p.m. Eastern. That is 
8, 7, 6 p.m. Pacific. <laughs> if you want to join us on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. So if you subscribe, you'll get a little warning that we're starting up. And it's not always on time, but we always have a good time a little bit before our show. Do our show and then sign off like I'm about to do right this second. So we do want to say thank you to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the f- official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.